Hey, welcome back to Noggin Notes, the only podcast that I know of recorded in Lovelock, Nevada, as is the case with this one today, that aims to enrich and educate your noggin on matters of mental wellness and spirituality and psychology and emotional functioning and social interaction and all sorts of things. We we try to cover as much as possible here to uh, enrich uh, wellness as broad as we can do that. I'm Jake Wiskirchen, your host. We appreciate you listening. It's always humbling. And I want to give two specific shout outs. One to Zephyr Wellness, which is the company that I co-own. And my family of Zephyr Well Wellnights, Wellness Wellness Sites. I that sounds like a disease. I don't know. Wellness sites. I don't know if I want to be diagnosed with that. But uh, my, my team at Zephyr Wellness is amazing and I love them for allowing me to be able to continue doing this podcast for free. Uh, so that's why Zephyr Wellness is a sponsor. You can check out ZephyrWellness.org and find out more about us. Um, and if you're a willing sponsor out in the audience and you want to supplant my uh, my my generous donation of my time or just give us your money because this stuff isn't free, we would welcome that. And I'll happily do a live read for your product over the air and help you sell more of what it is that you're trying to sell. Because as long as it aligns with our uh, mission and philosophy of helping others and doing it in an innovative and philanthropic way, I have no problem sharing that. Um, I think it's just the way the world goes around. And the second shout-out is to Dash Radio, which recently picked us up and is integrating us into the real-life radio channel on Dash Radio. If you haven't just explored Dash Radio, check out dashradio.com. It's uh it's digital radio, 24 hours a day, free of subscriber fees, and it's amazing. Um, it, there's like 90-something channels on there, and I I love it. I love being a part of it. I'm flattered and I'm honored that, that my voice gets to be on those airwaves. And um, on behalf of my partner with Naga Notes, Safiso, we're just com- incredibly humbled to, to be invited. So thanks to Blaze and his team for having us on. And uh, I hope uh, I hope this reaches lots of ears and helps enhance lots of lives because ultimately that's what this is about is is making lives better so that we all live in, in a little bit better peace and tranquility. So thanks for tuning in. This podcast is about sadness and anger. It's the first in a five part series. There'll be two motions per part and for a total of ten, and we'll go over those a little bit at a time. If you're old to the podcast, we've already done this before. Um, about a year and a half ago, and we're we're doing it again because we didn't we didn't touch everybody, and sometimes it's just tough to scroll back into the archives and listen to it. So, settle in and uh, enjoy this podcast on sadness and anger. Enjoy. Raise your hand if you enjoy being sad. Raise your hand if you enjoy being angry. Actually, don't don't raise your hand if you're driving. Don't take your hands off the wheel of the car. That's super dangerous because I just asked two questions there that could result in people uh, removing both hands from the wheel. Uh, hopefully, nobody raised their hand and saying that they enjoy being sad or angry. But this is not about enjoying your emotional experiences. This is about understanding them. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about sadness and anger. And I want to explain not only the neurological adaptive function that they all have, uh, or that these two both have. Uh, Eventually, I'll get to the the rest of the eight remaining emotions. But for today, we're going to tackle two. And if I can untie my tongue, that would be even better. So um, 
we're going we're gonna to talk about sadness and anger. Now, you may have heard it said that anger is a quote-unquote secondary emotion. And I'm putting my hands in air quotes, but you can't see that because this is radio. Uh, but picture air quotes in my hands. And uh, anger is a quote-unquote secondary emotion to some people. Now, neurologically, I don't know that that's true. I think that uh, most of the research indicates that we, we feel things, um, you know, as we feel them, and we don't necessarily pick the order in which they arrive. However, there is some anecdotal evidence, as shared by most human beings who experience these things and then, uh, you know, report later that they're, they do feel an order to them. And I, I'm picking sadness and anger for this particular podcast because I think they're interrelated. And I'll also mention fear and contempt at some point down the road. Um, and those those will have their, their own separate podcast. But today, we're going to discuss uh, why sadness and anger are so important. Now, among the 10 emotions that I listed in the original uh, Emotional Overview podcast, uh, you may have heard and evaluated those and said, said to yourself, you know, it, it sounds like seven of those are negative and three are positive. And a lot of people say that to me when I teach this stuff, either in session or in a, in a group setting or if I'm giving a seminar. And that's not true. They're neither sad nor, uh, I'm sorry, they're neither positive nor negative. They're just simply informative. So if we evaluate our emotion as something that's trying to tell us what's going on with the world, we don't necessarily have to be as attached to it and then judge it in such a manner as being good or bad. So when I did the whole, you know, raise your hands and, you know, keep them on the steering wheel thing, um, I wanted to illustrate that most of us have a predisposed judgment associated with what we feel. And my job here in this particular uh, show is to move you off of that judgment and into a position of neutrality where you can just simply receive the feedback that your brain is giving you. So if we take sadness and anger, it's not about whether you want to feel them, you like to feel them, you enjoy it, you purposely seek it out. It's about what is it trying to tell you. So what Carol Izzard said in his uh, research uh, that spanned 50 years is that emotions are simply adaptive in their nature. And adaptive means that we're trying to interact with the environment that's throwing various stimuli at us. So the environment is constantly doing stuff. It's triggering stuff in our brain that says, uh, hey, brain, respond to this. Sadness's function is to tell us that our expectations were not met. And, and I'm giving a very overly simplified um, introduction to this. So if, you're, if you happen to be a neurologist or you happen to study emotions for a living, please forgive me. I'm, I'm doing this uh, for the layperson. So um, don't, don't rake me over the coals and shoot me a, a flaming email that says, you know, Jake, you're a marriage and family therapist. Stay in your lane. Stop talking about neuroscience. Uh, this is just to give people a, an over, overview to how they tick because, frankly, this stuff just doesn't get introduced in any sort of curriculum in any educational setting anywhere broadly. So um, the adaptive function of, of sadness is to tell us that our expectations were not met. Now, along the way, we want to keep in mind that these emotions are on a continuum from very small to very large. Now, I, I mentioned in the, in the overview that, that they're a wave. They're, they're, uh, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to every emotional experience, and that it's, it's temporary. Eventually, all emotional experience ends because uh, supposedly the stimulus that caused it is over 
And then what's left is the chemical residue in our brains that eventually flushes through our body and stops pumping, right? So just just three to nine seconds is about all that lasts in our brain. And after that, if we stay in an emotion longer than that, what we're doing is we're thinking about the thing that caused the emotion. Thus, we have control over our emotions to some degree. So sadness says that our expectations were not met. Now, what's an expectation? Oh, it could be anything. Uh, Sometimes we have conscious expectations, and sometimes we have unconscious expectations. And I would submit that most of our expectations we're simply not aware of. Let me illustrate. If I walk into a fast food restaurant and I want um, a hamburger and some Dr. Pepper, and I order my hamburger, and I go over to the soda machine with my cup, and I click the Dr. Pepper uh, lever, and out comes soda water because there's no syrup to go with the soda water, I will be disappointed because I internally I had an expectation that I was going to get Dr. Pepper out of that device, and it failed me. So what I've, what I've experienced there is what we would call on the low end of the sadness continuum, something along the lines of disappointment. And that's fine, and that's, and that's tolerable usually. Um, I had an expectation to get a certain soda. It was not met. I went, mm, and, and I felt sadness on a, on a very low end. Now, on a very high end, we might have an unconscious expectation that a family member is going to live longer than they do, and they die prematurely. And I understand this is a very macabre, and I'm, I'm going through it very quickly, almost callously, but bear with me. Uh, if you've had a family member die sir, or recently, uh, apologize, I'm not purposely triggering you. Um, this is just an illustrated point. So unconsciously, we, we don't consider that people don't last forever, right? So unconsciously, we, we just kind of have this uh, impression that mom's going to live forever because we've been with her forever, quite literally our, our whole lives, you know, or, or grandma's just always been around or dad or whoever. And so when they die, even if they die at an old age, uh, as, as appropriately as possible, what we end up with is great sadness, anguish, we might call that. That's, that's a different word for great sadness, because it's just more important. It's more important than Dr. Pepper. A loved one dying, especially at an early age, uh, or a pet, or, or any, any sort of massive disappointment that has importance. You know, house catches fire. We've had fires ravaging California recently. Uh, as I record this podcast, it's December of 2018, and um, people are just now digging out of the, the wreckage of some major, major blazes. So there's massive, massive sadness along with that. And associated with that sadness, we can attach grief, and there's a process by which we go through grief. And I'm not going to get into that in this podcast. So if it sounds like I'm being very insensitive and I'm, and I'm invalidating people's experiences, that's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm explaining on a neurological level what sadness is trying to tell us. So if you experience one of those extreme tragedies, what we want to do is we want to acknowledge that simply an expectation was not met, and that's fine. We, we go through life all the time getting expectations not met and experiencing sadness. What my mission is is to try to get people to understand that these things are all fleeting and temporary. Now, some may be bigger than others, meaning that the amplitude of that wave, that three to nine seconds, can go from very high to very low based on the importance of the thing that we're experiencing. We want to embrace this fully, and we want to tolerate it, and we want to feel what life is throwing at us so that we live life fully. If we're not living life fully, we, we run into all sorts of problems. So we want to identify what it is that we're feeling. And, and, and often in, in different ways, our bodies will register this stuff that's, that's generated in our brains. 
so that we learn how to interact appropriately with what's going on. And that's what Izzard discovered. Izzard discovered that uh, with with almost like 94% accuracy, we can identify what someone is feeling by their facial presentation. So, and this crossed all cultures, all societies, uh, ages. We know that as long as somebody is expressing their emotion accurately upon their face, uh, 94% of people can tell what, what that is within those 10 emotions that I listed off in the first episode. So with sadness, we want to embrace it fully and we want to, we want to know what's going on and we want to tolerate it and we want to ride through that wave and know that the, the, the world won't stop turning simply because we had an emotional experience. We became vulnerable, we were exposed, we felt pain, it sucked, and life goes on. It doesn't stop there. And I think what ends up happening is, particularly with males uh, raised particularly in America or Western society, is that we get told that some of these more vulnerable emotions like uh, fear and shame and guilt and sadness are not to be felt. Um, And broadly, I think that that Western society just sends that message to everybody, not just dudes, but, but gals feel it too. And and you're just supposed to shut this down, put on a professional face, move forward as though it didn't happen. And that's that's fine and dandy. Like there are times and places uh, to to stuff your emotion, but then we really need to reconnect with it later and really feel it fully so that the chemicals move through our bodies. We don't end up with weird physiological ailments because we've we've got strange cortisol buildups in our muscle tissue and whatnot. Um, but ultimately, we want to feel what we feel so that we can act in an appropriate manner out of reason and logic and not out of the emotion. Sometimes what we do is we will act with a different emotion. And one of those emotions that we reach for that's not appropriate because it's not the appropriate thing that we're feeling is anger. Anger is said to motivate. So for example, if I'm, uh, you know, if I'm pissed off every day at my job, I should probably go find new employment. Uh, to, to alleviate what I'm angry about. Now, uh, that would be very odd for me because I own my own company. It would be very strange if I were angry every day at work. I'd have to, like, fire myself or something. I don't, I don't know how that would work. But the idea is that anger is used to motivate. So if we keep that in mind, and uh, you may be listening to this right now, struggling with some anger issues, and if you know that anger's purpose is to motivate, um, maybe ask yourself, why am I feeling this anger, and what am I motivated to do to make change, to go some, somewhere and do something about this? And if that's not possible, maybe it's not real legitimate anger. I mean, I'm not saying the anger's not legitimate, but it's not rational. It doesn't align. Possibly what's laying beneath the surface is something like sadness. It's a disappointment. So if you look at, say, the political landscape of our culture, not every decision that's made by a politician in in a situation of uh, or a position of influence is going to benefit you or your particular ideology or your your worldview or philosophy. That can be upsetting in a in a sadness way because your expectation is that they would represent you appropriately in their realm. And when they don't do that, you get disappointed. That's not anger. That's sadness. And you can tolerate that and you can ride through it. And I can imagine some of you saying, that's great, Jake. That sounds awesome. But what happens if the sadness keeps going and going and going? What do we do? Okay, two things. You can allow the anger to penetrate and it can motivate you to go make change. You can go down and you know write a series of letters to that representative to um, you know hear your voice and uh, make different decisions in the in the body in which they're they're elected or whatever. 
Or you can align your expectations with reality. If you know, for example, that your voice isn't going to be heard, somehow you have this information that, that they're not going to pay attention to you, let's say. Um, you can align your expectations with the reality that says, this person's not going to listen to me. So now my expectation is not that they're going to act on my behalf. They're going to act on the behalf of um, everybody else who doesn't think like me, who is in their district or whatever. Or maybe they have their own agenda or they're, they're purchased by corporate interests or whatever, whatever we want to throw at them, right? But either way, that's reality. And we don't need to headbutt reality trying to conform it to what we want it to be. We can simply align our expectations with reality so that we ourselves in our own worlds, walk in our own lives, aren't so thrown by this that we're constantly disappointed. If we go to the anger end, maybe that activates to go make change. Maybe we ourselves run for office to uh, supplant the person who's making these bad decisions on, on our behalf. And that's fine. That's appropriate anger. What's an example of inappropriate anger? Well, road rage. Road rage is an example of inappropriate anger or irrational anger, as I might call it, because if you're driving down the, the highway at a high rate of speed and uh, a car cuts you off, you're not actually getting angry. What I would submit you're actually feeling is fear. And fear's job is to tell you that there's a threat or a danger present. And I'll cover fear in a different episode. But the point is that if you're feeling fear because uh, there's a legitimate threat to your life or safety and that of your passengers because a, a very heavy automobile just cut off your very heavy automobile at a high rate of speed, then why jump to anger? There's literally in that moment nothing you can change about it, whether you you know uh, flip the guy off in front of you or wave a pistol at him or chase him down off the highway and threaten to, to beat him up. That's not helpful. It's not going to change what just happened. What just happened was very scary, and if you learn that you can tolerate that fear, you don't have to jump to anger. So the anger in that moment overwhelms the, the frontal lobe, as all emotions do when we're in an emotional state, it overwhelms the frontal lobe, it clouds your cognition, it stymies your reasoning, and you don't act out of logic, you act out of emotion. And when you act out of emotion, we often, you know, you'll often do things that you regret. So um, we want to be mindful of when we're in an emotional state, label it accurately, tolerate it, or compartmentalize it and use it for later um, and then move on with the day so that we're not chasing people down off the highway and threatening them in their front yard while we, you know, miss our appointments and, um, you know, cause, cause a ripple effect through our lives that ultimately could have been avoided had, had we simply been able to tolerate the emotion lying underneath like a fear or a sadness. So let me give an example of somebody who's used anger to his advantage. Uh, there's a story about Tom Brady who was interviewed after his third Super Bowl victory in which he was asked, you know, how do you stay motivated after so much success? It seems like you would, you know, kind of coast and rest on your laurels and, you know, not maybe not work so hard because uh, three Super Bowl victories is, is pretty impressive and not many people have done that. And uh, so goes the story that, that Tom Brady looked the interviewer in the eye and he says, you do realize I was drafted in the sixth round, right? So, so many years after his draft, the dude was still angry that he was passed over by 31 other teams six times until the Patriots picked him up. And he channeled that anger appropriately into making himself better. He It motivated him to study more film, to work harder in the weight room, watch his nutrition, 
you know, learn more about the the game and and so forth. So that's an appropriate use of anger. Some somewhat like using anger appropriately would be uh, to run for office to supplant the person who's making the bad decisions in the the body to which they are elected. That's an appropriate use of anger. An inappropriate use of anger would be flaming others on social media, um, attacking people who can't defend themselves, going home and and becoming violent upon your family. That's not an appropriate use of anger. That doesn't motivate anything to, to make change to satisfy the disappointment that you're feeling or the fear that you're experiencing. So what we want to invite is we want to invite people to come back down and, and tolerate the, the more vulnerable emotions that they feel and then attack them in a different way so that they can act out of reason and logic. We're going to take a little break. I'm going to come back after the break and uh, explain a little bit deeper about how we can apply this in our everyday lives. Okay, we're back, and we're talking about sadness and anger and what to do with it. And I I teased a little bit going into the break that we would uh, share how to use this in, in a way that's more practical in one's own life. So the first thing I want to share is that you have to learn what, where you feel what you feel in your body. So if you're feeling sadness in the pit of your stomach and you, you, you practice this a little bit and you have somebody validate it for you, you go, it sounds like it's sad, or you can validate yourself when you take a step back and go, why am I feeling what I'm feeling? Say you're one of those people who uh, jumps right to anger, or quote unquote, I should say, jumps right to anger. You know, there is no, there is no range. I don't feel sadness. I'm, I'm always angry. Okay, well, I would invite you to analyze the events that that preceded that angry impulse or that angry experience, and pick it apart, and see the sequence of events in such a way that where one leads to the next, before you felt what you felt, did you have some expectations that were not met? chances are really strong that most of people's anger comes from a disappointment or a sadness, not an actual anger that makes one want to change things. So that's one way of doing it is just simply to analyze. Notice when you're angry. This all starts with noticing, right? You got to build self-awareness to the point that you notice things. And then when you notice them, pull back and go, okay, how did I get here? What what transpired? Um, for example, the, the road rage incident, car cut me off. Um, I got angry, but Jake told me in that podcast that that's not an angry thing. That's a fear thing. Okay. Tolerate that fear, write it through. That's good. That's fine. That's well. Um, if you're angry at the fast food restaurant because they're out of Dr. Pepper, analyze it, go, what am I angry about? I'm angry that there's no Dr. Pepper. That's an opportunity to evaluate what's going on and say, am I actually angry or did I have an expectation not get met of my Dr. Pepper? As long as you can tolerate that and you go, well, you know, I'll just move my cup over to the the Pepsi side and and click on Pepsi and fill my cup with Pepsi and I can tolerate it. I can go on. Life will be fine. Then you can let it go and you don't have a stacking effect of disappointment. So say you don't get the, the Dr. Pepper and you have to have Pepsi, but then you continue to think about it and then you chew on it and then you tell your friends about how they're, they're out of Dr. Pepper. You're keeping this dead moment in the past very much alive that's fueling that anger and you're choosing to be angry about it instead of choosing to be sad. And I, I use the word choice there very specifically and purposely because once we become aware of what we're feeling – you don't get to carry it on unless you choose to. Because like I said, the stimulus in the environment, the lack of Dr. Pepper, the car cutting you off, the, the loved one dying, those can only happen once and then they're over. 
So it's not, again, it sounds very cruel and very insensitive that, I, that I'm suggesting that someone just simply move on from these incidents. But neurologically, that's exactly what happens. And the reason for that is that the next moment may demand your attention and it may demand more emotional energy that's not got anything to do with the previous moment. So if you're keeping these dead moments alive, what you're really doing is missing out on life as it presents itself to you. You, you go to the fast food restaurant, you end up settling for Pepsi, you go home, maybe the burger's cold, the manager was rude, whatever. You got all these stacking things going on in your, in your head and you're driving back to work, you're driving home and you're just thinking about it and you're chewing on it. Well, what you're missing out on is the traffic, the radio, uh, the possible um, scenery going by. And in so doing, if you're emotionally flooded and your your frontal lobe is not engaged, you could get into an accident, um, misinterpret a song lyric that may make you even angrier. Um, you may miss some scenery that was necessary to see because it's beautiful and it, it, you know, you're working on being more at peace, but you, you skip the flowers because you're so angry and you're just like gnawing on this Dr. Pepper you didn't get. Um, all that stuff serves not only to take you out of the present moment and miss out on your own life, it could, could, could cause real problems. If you're distracted by emotional stuff in the car and you, and you rear end the, the car in front of you because you're not paying attention because you're so emotionally flooded, now you got bigger problems. So we want to we want to tolerate these things moment by moment as the moments come to us and acknowledge them for what they are wrap our arms around them claim them as our own and then let them go and leave them where they should be part of this is noticing where it happens in your body you can notice if your face gets flushed you're feeling angry you can analyze that and dissect it and say is this something that i i can be motivated to change or is it something i just need to make peace with tolerate ride through the wave and then let it go so that I don't miss the next moment that's coming. And a lot of times we, we make that mistake saying, ah, I'm, just, I'm just an angry person. I was born this way. Well, fundamentally, I don't believe that. Um, if, we, if we study the research, we realize that people aren't coming out of the womb angry. That does, I mean, it's, it's incongruous with nature. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't serve any purposes. Um, but if you believe that you are truly you know, an angry person, I'm not going to try to convince you otherwise in this podcast. But what I would invite you to do is analyze whether or not that anger is motivating you to do stuff or if it's actually just stalling your own personal advancement and growth. Chances are pretty good that it's the latter, not the former. And if it is the latter, maybe at least try to turn it into the former so that you can take that anger. Maybe you can't quit your job. Maybe maybe you're financially strapped and you got to keep working for the terrible boss. Well, go to the gym afterward. Channel that into being the best boxer you can be. Channel it into writing some amazingly angry music. I mean, musicians have dotted the landscape for ages writing about their their angry cognitions or their angry thoughts and making tons of money off of it. Maybe there's a second career in it for you just because you're all mo- you're you're motivated by this this bad boss. There are positive things that can come out of anger. I don't want to take anger away from anybody. I don't want to take sadness away from anybody because they're useful and they're purposeful, but only if they're channeled appropriately. We don't want to stuff this stuff down because eventually it will come out. And as I shared before, we will emote. Uh, We can override it for a short period of time, but eventually it'll come out. And we want it to come out in the right way, not the wrong way that causes more pain, destruction, violence upon others and and so forth. And then we get regret and shame and guilt. And I'll get into shame and guilt in a different podcast. But for now, if we can just understand that, that sadness and anger serve a purpose, and the purpose is to let you know that your expectations were not met in the case of sadness, and it ranges from, you know, very small to very large, as do all the emotions. And in the case of anger, its purpose is to motivate 
uh, whether what it motivates you to do, who knows? Often it's to make change, but if it motivates you to become creative or um, you know love others harder or uh, donate to charity to you know right some wrongs or you know balance the scales of social justice, that's fine. That's an appropriate channeling of anger. What we don't want to do is take our anger and offload it onto others, thus causing more pain and more sadness in the rest of the world. That doesn't help anybody. The world's full of pain. We don't need we don't need you adding to it. So take that, use it, harness it, um, make the most of it, and then you can end up with a very positive outcome at the end. So I really hope this was beneficial for you. Um, if you, if you want to learn more, you can check out ZephyrWellness.org. Uh, if this triggered something in you and you want to get some personal help, you can check out psychologytoday.com or aamft.org and their therapist locator. It'll find something in your, in your area. And those are great ways to go about it. Um, you can also keep listening to this podcast because, I mean, frankly, I think that everything that comes out of my mouth is awesome. Otherwise, I wouldn't be saying it. Um, humor aside, I do wish you all very well, and I wish you great mental wellness. Tune back in in a week, and we'll have more for you. Take care. Take care.